0: Did we cover the second topic? Not at all. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no. Well. We haven't touched on that.
0: I guess we could go into that, but do you want to touch on the other?
1: No. No, screw the rest of it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I feel like that went, yeah. that went a slightly different direction than you probably anticipated. It did.
1: <laughs> Ooh, good to go? Yes. Okay. Hi, Jess.
0: <laughs> Hi, John.
1: You don't like to start. No. You always like laugh at me it's when I because start. because
0: we've already been talking for like thirty minutes, and it's yeah, just it's really humorous.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a little, it's a little awkward to be in the middle of a conversation and to say hi. That's true. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you.
0: <laughs> but hi, John. How's it going? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, I guess. Actually, it's been a really good week. I'm always happy to start the Christmas season in December and everything. And I know that obviously the podcast listeners are going to be listening quite a bit later than that, but in podcast parallel universe time, December just started and it's great. I know you're in the middle of hot Miami and so it doesn't probably feel like winter at all to you. But No,
0: but I mean, it's still... This is the
1: most wintry winter I've ever had. Yeah,
0: for sure. I see you with your beanie and big sweater over there. We have a Christmas tree. We don't have any lights on it yet and we don't have any like adornment to it, but it is there. We're getting ready for family to come from various roommates and planning all of that feast and whatever. So it's feeling a little bit more like Christmas, although I'm not gonna lie, it feels a little bit more like my last Christmas, which was in New Zealand with one of our co-workers from before. So it's just feeling a little bit different, but it's fine. It's a new thing I'm getting used to.
1: Yeah, it's like how all of my Christmases have been my entire life—kind <laughs> of warm and. Weird. Whereas I'm yeah.
0: used to if there's snow, it's a really awesome Christmas.
1: Yeah, I'm really hoping there will be some snow here before Christmas time. So yeah, well, fingers crossed. Because I've I've still never had snow. Well, I guess I guess in Korea we had snow at Christmas time, didn't we?
0: if we had it on christmas day but we had it around then for sure like there was
1: definitely uh, snow on the ground still i think yeah
0: i remember one of the gifts i got were some wool socks so that definitely indicates how cold it was
1: i really like it being cold around this time of year yeah no i've been having i've been having a great week what have you been up to you having anything interesting
0: it's been a very solid week nothing too different than normal but yesterday we had a beach day for a lot of the day which i've realized on the weekends i'm often working on my own things and not doing all the fun activities exploring Miami so I'm more settled now I'm no longer traveling so I'm just here and I can start planning through okay what's in Miami and what do I want to start exploring
1: yeah it's it's definitely nice to get into town and explore but I know I've really enjoyed getting to know this country and getting to know the city and everything so Imagine, yeah, it's nice to be settled.
0: Yeah, you're in a a city that most Americans I have ever talked to would love to live in or visit.
1: Yeah, Dublin's (laughs) nice, it's it's not bad. I can't complain. (laughs) Do you want to just plunge into one of our main topics for the day? Sure, okay. So, I know that was super smooth and clean, (laughs) and everything was great, but you know, can't win them all. All right, so I I wanted to talk a little bit today about barriers to entry, okay? And I know that that sounds really boring and dry (laughs) when I say it in, like, economic speak. But it's, it's important to remember that anything that you talk about in technical terminology actually is real and interesting and, like, real in the world if you start talking about it in normal ways. So barrier to entry is just things that stop people from being able to do things they want to do. Right. That's the way I think about it anyway, right? Right. And it's been really interesting growing up in the time that we've grown up in because the time before we were born, in like the 80s and the 70s and the 60s and the 50s, like that period from like the turn of the century until 1980s was just this period that gradually companies got larger and they got stronger and they got more industrial. And so they got harder to get into. It was just harder and harder to get into like starting your own thing it was harder and harder to enter any new industry or to make anything yourself like you talk about you know movies and these huge hundred million dollar blockbusters well obviously some random guy on the street can't make something like that but then starting in the 90s really with the internet with introduction of personal computers and phones and a lot of stuff with globalization and how supply chains broke down and were no longer like vertically integrated i just have over my entire life seen the barriers to people being able to do things that they want to do in business and in life constantly dropping Mm -hmm. and it's a phenomenon that i'm fascinated by and i don't think people appreciate enough i don't think they enjoy it enough how many opportunities there are for people to just do things they want to do
0: right yeah, absolutely.
1: And so I, I think the most obvious examples and one of some of the first examples are like people starting blogs and things like YouTube channels and podcasts and things like that, right? Because obviously, we would not have been able to start a radio station in the 1980s very easily. You look at people that have huge blogs, they wouldn't have been able to start newspapers necessarily. And like for a radio station, you need to have actual bandwidth that you can send out on, like, radio waves, right? You need to have a certain spectrum that you control that needs to be granted to you by the government or whoever controls the spectrum in your area. And now, because of things like the Internet, those barriers are just gone. They're just completely gone. And so all you need is to be able to produce something. And so hand-in-hand hand with this major reduction in, like, distribution expense and distribution difficulty... Mm-hmm you also have a major reduction in the difficulty to produce things. Because now video production, audio production, writing... Well, I guess writing was always kind of easy to do, but or in terms of like it didn't cost you a lot to write something.
0: Right, but to produce it, to get it out there, now you don't have to code an entire website by yourself. You can just drag right. and drop some things and throw your text in there and voila.
1: Yeah, and, and so the production side and the distribution side for all sorts of media is just incredibly easy compared to what it used to be. Like It used to be, to produce some things that I see on YouTube, you would need a staff of thousands and millions of dollars to do that sort of thing. You would need massive numbers of computers and processing power and uh-huh. lots of different cameras that would cost tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And now one guy with an iPhone can do a lot of those sorts of things with very little technology, very little expense. And it's interesting to see how that's reshaping the world because i mean obviously the first thing that we saw was the beginning of the demise of newspapers right yeah. the newspapers just started going bankrupt left and right and so a lot of people looked at things like that and talked about how bad it was and, and, and in a certain respect yeah. the degradation of the national media has been a negative thing you have less investigative reporting because blogs are obviously not really investigating things in the same way that newspapers would have, right? Like, the, No blog is sending people to Syria to interview refugees and interview people that are in the civil war to see what's happening. They're just expressing their opinion based upon news that they're getting. So they're they're, they're kind of a secondary source. Uh. But at the same time, it allows a lot more individual creativity and a lot more in terms of different business models and different ways that people express themselves to reach an audience and reach the markets and and push them their stuff out there whereas before it was just not possible and before it mattered much less what you could produce and much more if you could fit into the corporate models that were necessary for you to be successful you
0: know? right and even schooling and everything was geared towards that model and now it's a model that is trying to figure out how to integrate itself or mold, morph itself, I should say, into all the technology that we have and the way people now learn or the opportunities yeah. to learn. Because I, what I was going to say, the thing that's fascinating to me about the technological change that I've watched from being a kid using AOL to now what it's like on the connection side, it's mm. pretty incredible that one... Just like we were saying that we're able to talk right now. You're in Dublin, Ireland. I'm in Miami, Florida. But that's enabled so much in terms of business and being able to get skills and input and feedback, all of that outside of your initial network. I can look for certain things within Miami, Florida, but I also know I have you in Ireland and I have this person here and you have all of this feedback that can come in at any point in time when you're talking a business idea and you're also for the good or the bad. able to work on things pretty much 24/ 7 if you want to because there's always someone available.
1: That's true well, and sometimes you have to like I've had to coordinate with people on the west coast of the United States and you know that eight hour time difference there aren't many times in the day where you're both in working hours, you know what I mean There are no times that you are both in normal working hours and so you have to try to coordinate out of hours. I have to try to get on calls with people at 7 a.m my time, 11 p.m their time and be like, well, I guess this is the best time for us to have a call. You're right. It definitely forces you into these weird hours sometimes.
0: But it, it's just incredible how you even have that potential. Before, it wasn't even a thing. And the same with when I look at what we are talking about with education and the skill sets that you can have. Before, yeah. Or you were talking about how you'd have to buy all this equipment and spend a pretty insane amount of money Absolutely. to do what you can now do with an iPhone. And the same way now, you can get a PicMonkey or a Canva, you don't need to know graphic design. Graphic designers are still super important, but the average Joe or me (laughs) can go in there and use Canva or use PicMonkey or something like that.
1: Well, and this is is exactly what I think the point is, right? The point is that obviously, like you just said, graphic designers still matter, right? So like skills, the ability to produce something still matters. Mm -hmm. But the amount of expertise you need and the amount of capital you need in order to acquire those skills and to put those skills to use is much lower. So if you have the skills, but you don't have the connections, or you have the skills, but you don't have the pedigree or the experience or the money to buy $20,000 worth of software, well, now you can do it with a few hundred dollars and you can practice on your own until you get good enough at the actual skills you need. And you don't need to network with people at a high level and try to get in to Hollywood and move amongst the stars and producers and things. Like It's completely changed power structures. And you know, not, not that we're really going to get into this today, but this is one of the reasons why I think this whole thing around all of the sexual abuse scandals that are coming mm-hmm. out right now and have been coming out over the last few months, I think one of the reasons why that's possible is because of these shifts. What you see is the power that used to be concentrated in a few people who had control over distribution has now been frayed. Those people don't have nearly the same power over distribution that they used to have. And so people don't have to be as afraid of them. And that's why when you look at the people that have had these scandals, it's people in broadcasting, it's people in movies, you know what I mean? It's people that used to have these very controlled distribution systems, and now they don't. And this is exactly like what we're talking about, right? It it increases people's freedom of action because they're less dependent On other people, right? Like I'm more focused on the new entrants, people trying to start out. But for people in the middle of the process, it's a huge change as well. Like it changes how dependent you are. When you look at stuff like Jerry Seinfeld starting his show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Back in the old days, he would have never been able to walk from this huge studio with all these people working on Seinfeld and just go off and do kind of his own thing. With that, he would have had to stay in the studio and not had the same freedom that he has now. And yeah, he's a big star. He could have still done something in that with those restraints, but now he has the freedom to do what he actually wanted to do and see if it'll work. It allows for so much more creativity and range of motion and new things to rise up.
0: Yeah, the recent sexual harassment news, it's similar to a lot of the political news that people have been under oppressive governments or regimes and they've And this is a big debate that we also won't get into, but they've used social media as a platform and that wouldn't have been possible either for that power structure to change. Right. Yeah. Nor would it be possible for us who aren't a Jerry Seinfeld. It wouldn't have been possible for us at all unless we went to a certain school and like you were saying, got the pedigree, got everything laid out. And now it's, well, someone is going to probably enjoy my perspective so I can put it out there and I can figure out everything I need to using the tools at my disposal to create it.
1: Exactly. It it gives people a lot more power. And this is why I think our perspective is what it is over the last few years about personal skill development, about pushing yourself, learning things on your own. All of these changes give the individual so much more power to figure things out on their own. Whereas before... You really needed someone to kind of hold you by the hand and walk you through things because Aww. there was no way to do these sorts of things on your own. It always used to be the thing. I remember when I was in business school, they talked regularly about the people that start businesses, generally speaking, or people that graduate from university. They go work in their industry for 10, 15, 20 years. And then they go with this new expertise that they've built up and start their own company that is related or fills a certain niche within that industry, right? right? Well, that was the model when you had to have these contacts and you had to have this experience because nobody would trust you with their money to invest in you unless you had this experience. But when you don't need money to invest, suddenly... That experience, needing to have that, matters much less than actually just being able to produce the value. And so everything shifts.
0: Yeah, and a shift has also happened in terms of people's expectations. Because now it's no longer a, you have to have 10, 15 years of experience in this. And it has to be this very linear progression now it can be, I have more experience than hundreds of thousands of people in this topic, and I know that they would benefit. So it's the like one chain up that you no longer have to think about, and I struggle with this myself, the programming of you have to have this much experience. You have to have 10 to 15 years, but when I really right. think about it, you don't anymore because you don't. people are willing to take in a perspective that's different just because it's different. Well,
1: and, and I think that generally experience has been devalued. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see a lot of people, especially less successful people that are middle-aged right now, struggling and struggling with their egos, struggling with their place in society, because historically those people would be in the position where they're now gaining a lot of respect simply because they've been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. Right? That's how it used to be. Mm-hmm. And in a company or in a job, you're a higher level person or you're making more money simply because you have more experience. Well, that has been devalued. And now what you're producing, the actual value that you can offer has been increased in value because all of us are operating on a more equal plane in terms of how our stuff is judged. Right, it's judged based upon the merits of what you're producing, much more than on anything else. And you know that that's why there's been this huge backlash. And that's why when you when you go to a grocery store or something like that, and you see somebody who's 50 or 60 working there or something like that. Or you go to the Walmart and they have the classic Walmart greeter person, right? That is the sort of thing where those people don't necessarily feel great about themselves, but they're in that position because you can no longer rely on just experience or just connections or something like that to elevate you in the way that you used to. And a lot of people, especially people in that position, aren't necessarily happy about that. And all of these sorts of things, there are winners and losers, right? Lowering the barriers to entry hurts the people that are already in there being successful, But it still, I think, makes society dramatically better. And I think that's the key to this whole thing. Like you talk about newspapers dying. You talk about maybe older people not being paid as much just because they're older. And that's worse. But society is better for it. Society is able to move forward. It's benefiting people that are benefiting society more rather than just benefiting people because they're there.
0: Yeah. And it's something that in our time on this planet, basically, we haven't had to think about the other side of it. So I'm interested to see how we'll how we'll think about things when we're fifty or sixty, but the the key difference we have That's is true. that we're not in the previous model. We're in this model now where were able to gain these skills and realize how technology has impacted our generation maybe a little bit before going forward
1: yeah but most most directly ours yeah
0: so hopefully it will be fairly easy to keep up with it because we were the ones who it started with and we had to make that shift and so you see the change even from when i talk to my parents or my family relatives anyone of that generation you can tell the disconnect in terms of ways of thinking.
1: Yeah, it's true. And I I mean, I think that always happens generationally, but I think you're definitely right. The the whole concept of lifelong learning or continually developing yourself or pushing yourself, or even doing things like Athletics. athletics and like staying in shape when you're 50 or 60. Like that's not a thing that really existed in our parents' generation when you're talking about baby boomers. Like most baby boomers that I know I mean, some of them happened to be interested in something, and so they read about it. Some, A lot of them learned things at work over the years. But most of them just kind of finished university or finished high school and then went to work, and they didn't learn anything more. They didn't try to actually gain new skills or expand their horizons necessarily. And yet some of them happened to do that just because living life does that.
0: You're always going to have that no matter what generation.
1: Exactly. Like. <laughs> but it wasn't, it wasn't something that people en masse recognized as valuable and as something that will make their lives better and will make society better and will push them forward in the way that it is now. And so you're right. I think we will perhaps be better equipped because it's always difficult for the generation that is there right before seismic shifts like this happen in terms of the entire structure of society. The baby boomers, they're fine for the most part because they lived and worked their whole career before this major shift really happened. The difficulty is the generation after the baby boomers and the generation before us because they're kind of caught in the middle where they grew up with certain expectations and now they've shifted dramatically. And I think it's probably it was probably the same thing in the 1800s when everybody left the fields and went into factories and things. Uh-huh. Like there was a certain generation that didn't want to do that, didn't know how to do that, was uncomfortable with it and they probably struggled and suffered because of it. They were born too late to have the benefits of the earlier system. They were born too early to be able to understand and function naturally in the newer system and so yeah there are transition difficulties with all of these sorts of things i mean it's the same kind of thing like i always like to take things back to economic analogies and it's the same kind of thing when you think about and i guess this isn't even really an economic analogy but when you talk about switching cost mm-hmm. right to where you're already doing something and it's okay but you could be doing something that was better and easier and maybe saved you money but the cost to switch to the new way of doing things is real. And so you will only switch once the cost of switching is smaller than the benefit to the new thing. Right. But what that means is that for the new people working on this sort of thing or or when you if you put it into like the context of a cell phone, buying a new cell phone, you're going to buy the best one. But switching to a new cell phone, well, that's going to be much more delayed than just buying the best
0: cell phone it, it makes sense because coming back to what we were talking about before i have an iphone my work just gave me a google motorola phone and when yeah. i i'm switching but not really because i still have my iphone but if i were to go just without them handing me this google phone completely to it the switching cost right. would have been too great in terms of me getting up to speed on it that i'm so much yeah. more comfortable with the iphone the benefit wouldn't have outweighed the switching cost.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when you look at this from an older person's perspective, like the generation before us, the generations who are currently like 40 or 50, mm-hmm. them changing their whole mindset to the new mindset. It's it's too difficult. Like it's it's really really expensive for them to completely change the way they live their lives. But for us, we're coming into the world having to make decisions, having to figure out how to walk into the working world and how to operate with all these sorts of things
0: that are constantly changing because technology is constantly changing
1: true but the, the the structures of society have shifted and they're continuing to shift somewhat but we are in a paradigm now that didn't exist before like 1995 and it has taken form since then and as we enter the working world as we enter the world generally our minds are shaped by this new era we don't have to change to it We are a part of it. You know what I mean? So it's like we're buying our first phone. We don't have to change. We don't have to deal with switching costs. We just have to make up our mind what the best thing for us for the first phone we buy is.
0: We have a bit of a different dilemma in certain respects that now the options seem almost limitless and we have to decide what is best to take on or what makes the most sense to take on and do that evaluation. That's true.
1: That is a different and, and difficult perspective because there is choice paralysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you have overwhelming numbers of choices and it paralyzes you, that is, you're right, equally difficult because when you're right, when, when there are, when there's an easy path and you can see what the path is, it's a lot easier to follow the path. Right. But when you have a thousand things that you could do, it's hard to do anything um, and this is actually related to something that I was trying to help somebody with recently where I was talking to them about procrastinating and people like it's it's really interesting to me because people deal with problems like procrastination and they just say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm bad. I procrastinate a lot. And they don't try to figure out why they procrastinate or how to stop procrastinating. If you recognize that it's not a good thing in your life, figure out why you do it and try to not do it. Like I, I it's it just it's Really weird to me. But anyway, so I was I was trying to help her, and I was explaining to her that the way I think about procrastinating, there are only two reasons that I think I procrastinate. Well, maybe three, but two especially. And it's that either you don't know how to do the thing you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. or you don't know what's going to happen once you do it. Those are the two big things. Right. There's also possibly that you don't like doing it but even if you don't like doing it like a lot of times when people procrastinate they do other things they don't want to do because they feel like they're doing work or but something But they like, want
0: to do slightly more than that other thing
1: well i don't even think it's, it's things that they know what will happen or they know how to do it so they know how to clean their apartment right. but they don't know how to write this like you know exam paper or, or something like that and it's the kind of thing where if you know that it's because you either don't know how to do it or you don't know what will happen mm-hmm. then suddenly you can think about it in a real way and you can address the the problem. And I think it's the same kind of thing between procrastination and choice paralysis. The issue is you don't know what's going to happen, so it causes you to not take any action. Or you don't know how to do whatever you want to do. If you've decided what you want to do, if you don't know how to do it, it will still stop you from doing it instead of figuring out because it's, it's kind of scary. The unknown is scary. But when you realize, oh, I'm not doing this because I don't know how to do it. Then you have your first step. Well, what I need to focus on is not doing it, but just start by figuring out what is involved in doing it. You
0: right, know? And that's why the balance has in many ways shifted. Before you had to get venture capital, you had to raise a certain amount of money. Now that's not as much the case. And for the entrepreneur, it's more a matter of determining how to do something and the choice paralysis, getting past deciding what to do. And then... It's true forging ahead on that path, which there are all these technologies at our disposal, but each one still has that learning curve. And so determining what is the best path is, I think, still the difficult part for entrepreneurs these days. But that's what comes with Having the technology to just enter any kind of market for the average person. Though.
1: Yeah, it's true, and like I've been, I've been trying to deal with this in terms of learning how to say no to projects. Like learning how to not just say no to projects, but say no to ideas, say no to just like to, just to shut things down. You know what I mean? And like focus write it on, on a notepad
0: so that if you ever need it or. Evernote wherever whatever you're at yeah, yeah yes
1: because to be able to really focus in on something is essential and it's really hard to do that when you've got a thousand other things that you're thinking about and trying to work on I actually wanted to bring this up uh, I should have brought it up in follow up but I'll bring it up now we had talked about last week or the week before or I'm not sure when mind maps and everything mm-hmm. and I've been working on some things where I needed to organize information and I've been trying to use mind maps and I've I've gotten kind of I've gotten more into it let's say <laughs> Because you know we had talked about. Remember when
0: I told you about podcast job and you were like, "I don't know," and I was like, "Try it." And now we're working on a podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. Yeah, sometimes your advice is
0: not uh, always useful. Definitely not always, but
1: no, I usually but, but have it, you good know,
0: interest, it's... your interest in mind, and overall yeah. B- benefits.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's come in handy a few times, but no, because I know we had talked about me doing animated shorts before and working on animation and things yep. like that, and. Mind mapping the possibilities of what I would want to make videos about and how I would want to do it and what things should be involved and just, just organizing all of that information has been useful for getting that out of my head and getting it into a structure that I can kind of contemplate, I guess, yeah. see how things are related to each other. So yeah, no, I've, I've started brainstorming with that a little bit more, which has been kind of useful. Yeah.
0: I mean, my biggest issue used to be what you mentioned right before that, figuring out how to say no to projects to yourself and to others. Yeah. And the choice paralysis was always so real that I found, probably before Korea, that was a massive part of why I didn't move forward at a much quicker clip than I now am. And now it's just, Mm. okay, I have these set projects, like these three or four things that I'm constantly working on, and that's it. And everything else I just have to say no to until I come to a point where everything else is so ingrained in my... In my schedule and life, that I can handle it much more easily.
1: Yeah, it is really important. And I found it useful uh, trying to figure out how to say no. And I'm not overly good at it, but luckily, <laughs> I.
0: I don't think anyone is good at it. It's a skill that you, it's a muscle you flex and you eventually get to. It's hard at it. because
1: new things are intrinsically interesting that's that's new is the shiny thing you know what i mean luckily at
0: least for our personality types yes
1: (laughs) i think that's pretty universal i don't know anyone who's like oh that's a new thing oh i want this old thing that i've done every day for the last 20 years like nobody nobody does that are you sure nobody's like okay there are very very (laughs) few people who are like i've eaten the same thing every day for the last 20 years and I don't want to eat anything else ever again because new things and new tastes and flavors you always are always want variety, boring.
0: but my yeah. point was more that we're looking for shiny objects more than maybe the average person is.
1: Okay, I'll, I'll admit that that's possible. <laughs> okay. That's possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that as possible. And I mean, luckily for me in my actual work processes, I very much focus on what's in front of me. So if I get into something, I can really focus on it for three or four hours without really breaking and, and get into it. You know what I mean? So I don't get pulled aside in process, which I know a lot of people struggle with, with short attention spans or getting pulled here and there, having ideas in the middle of things. So I can actually get things done, luckily. But it's hard when deciding what to do when you have... 20 things that you want to work on. Right. I do get pulled into
0: different ideas, into different things that I want to start working on, but I now recognize it enough that I can just put it into an Evernote or put it into a Google Doc that I have a running list of because I know that that's going to take my attention away from the task at hand, and then I just go back into attention mode.
1: Nice. That's that's good. It's good to have mechanisms and, and to just recognize what things you're kind of struggling with or are kind of derailing you. And once you recognize it, creating some sort of little mechanism to mitigate the problem. Right, right. Know? Just like what we were talking about with procrastination.
0: Okay, the second topic is the one that I'm actually pretty interested I was interested in the first one, too, but I'm very interested in this one. All right. Um, I'm still going to let you kick it off. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> All right, okay. So we've talked about skill development a fair amount on here and learning. And even earlier today, we, we, talked a little, we, we touched on it, I would say. And something that is demoralizing to a lot of people is when they look across their classroom or they look across the office and they see somebody who is just incredibly good at something, right? They just see somebody who's super talented. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem with that is the fact that what you can see is the results from somebody and what you can't see is how they got to the point where they can produce those sorts of results. Right. Let's say you're in 11th grade in high school and you see someone who's just really good at, I don't know, cursive. Like, let's say they have great handwriting because handwriting is the easiest example for me because yeah. I have terrible yeah, handwriting. You
0: like that one. Yeah, that must be
1: <laughs> I, I do. Yeah, I, I focus on that one because, you know. When you suck at that's something, that's also you a very easy yourself.
0: analogy to just throw up. Yes,
1: that. it's an easy, it's an easy one to focus on because it's super obvious, right? And so, when you look at somebody that has incredibly good handwriting, what you see when you read their writing is the incredibly good handwriting. But what you don't see is that for the last fifteen years, they've been obsessively writing notes to themselves and letters to friends and things like that, as you've been typing. Or as you've been playing video games. And so you have spent, in total, perhaps 500 hours writing Mm -hmm. in cursive. And they've spent 10,000 hours writing in cursive. And so they're somewhat better at it than you. Mm -hmm. It's impossible for you to see that progression. Because you're not going to be following them every step of the way, every day. And so you don't know what they're working on. And it's even more insidious... And difficult when you talk about things like music. Now, I started out at university studying music. I play several instruments. I've worked a lot with music. I've been in choirs and things over the years. And one of the things that is fascinating to me is how, I guess what you would call maybe the layman, views music. Especially singing. Mm Because most people look at singing and they say, oh well that person's a good singer. As though they came into this world a beautiful singer. But something that I know for a fact is that no one is born a good singer. And if somebody is a good singer, it's not just because they practiced or because they sang a lot. It's because during their childhood, their family sang. And they went to a church that had good music and sang. And they listened to music all the time and hummed it to themselves. All of these sorts of things, which weren't even them actually trying to learn it. It just happened through living, made them a good singer. But no one can see that. Right. And when somebody feels that they're not a good singer they will avoid singing, they'll avoid music, they'll avoid all those things, which will make them even worse at it. And so you see this divergence, and you see it in school at the time. That's why you have things like math, where little kids will think, oh, I'm good at math, or I'm bad at math. Mm -hmm. And then after three or four years of thinking you're good at math or bad at math, you are good at math or bad at math, because you either did it a lot more or you did it a lot less. And so I think it's important for, especially children, but anyone approaching anything to realize you're not good at it to begin with. And no one is. And you can be good at it eventually. And this applies to anything. And with the music example, I know I'm going on and on with this, but, like, the music example I think is really key. Because with instruments, whenever somebody starts an instrument, they're bad at it. Right. Universally. Because... You can't just pick up an instrument like you can pick up singing. It's not a natural thing that you Your do. Your muscle singing memory, is even,
0: even when I try to play something as small in terms of holding it as the ukulele, my fingers just don't know yeah. how to manage it.
1: <laughs> right. And you can have a good ear and you can have an understanding of rhythm and still not be very good at it right away because you've never held an instrument before. Right. And if you've played guitar or you've played violin or you've played even trumpet, you'll have more of a sense because you've worked with instruments before. But whenever you give somebody, even some that's a great singer an instrument they immediately suck and you can watch very consistently over the course of the hours and hours that they practice how they get better and everyone gets better and everyone gets much better and so i I really like ones that are obvious like that and drawing is a similar thing handwriting is a similar i was
0: gonna my example was gonna be language because language is one that i grew up having teachers at least that said there are some people who are just naturally gifted at languages. And my my 10-year-old self was like, yeah, she's probably right. She's like the teacher, and I suck at languages. She's that
1: big authority person up right, front. Right, yeah.
0: exactly. Now, looking at it, I'm going, wow, no, that person probably has had circumstances in their life where there's been a solid amount of logic going on, and a solid amount of a lot of different things that shape how you can function in languages and that side of the brain. All of those things really dramatically increase your ability to learn a language.
1: Well, and even when people compare themselves to like children who are native speakers, right? (laughs) It's a hilarious comparison because somebody will say, well, I've studied this language for three years and I'm not as good as this six-year-old. Why am I not as good as the six-year-old? And it's because the six-year-old's been speaking that language for four years and listening to it for six years every day, 24-7. And you've done it one hour a week or five hours a week for the last three years. Well, yeah, you're not going to be at the same level. They've put in a hundred times more hours. That should be obvious, but this is the whole thing of the invisibility of it, that you don't see all of the hours that you're not spending on it. And it's one of the reasons why I do things like time tracking because it's imperative that you don't deceive yourself into how much time you're putting into something Mm -hmm. if you actually want to have a good handle on what you're doing. So when I look at myself studying Spanish or something like that, I can't be like, well, it seems like I'm studying a lot if I'm only actually putting in an hour a week. I can actually look at it and say, okay, I haven't put in very much time. That's why I'm not progressing. Or I've put in two hours a day every day, so I'm progressing quickly like you can you can see the correlation much better, which I think is useful because you're right. With almost anything I've ever dealt with, the progression is very consistent with time put in.
0: Right. And that gets into, and I know we've talked about this before. I don't believe we've talked about it on this show before. Maybe we have. But the whole 10,000 hours idea, which is a book about how if you put in 10,000 hours, you get to mastery.
1: You're talking about Malcolm Gladwell's Outliers? Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. And this has been quoted in a lot of places now. But I think the biggest lesson from that is not if you get to 10,000 hours, you have mastery. It's that people go, oh, the Beatles, they're this amazing group and they were just really good at music. But no, the Beatles were doing all these concerts every day of the week for years and years. And then eventually they got more well-known, but they were putting in all of that time for a long time.
1: Yes, I completely agree with you. And, And different people will progress at different rates. And that's why we've worked so much with amateur hours and with thinking about how you pursue skill development. Because if you put in 100 hours of very effective practice, you might gain the same increase in skill as someone else who puts in 500 hours of very poor or inconsistent practice. But time, at the end of the day, is still the primary input. If you do it better, but you don't really do it at all, then you're not doing it better. Another wrinkle to this, which I think makes it difficult for a lot of people, is something like what you brought up with the Beatles. Other people might be really good and never have gotten famous. And that goes back to the whole thing that we were talking about before about barriers to entry. Back in the 60s, in order to get big, you needed to happen to get picked up by some big radio stations or happened to, I don't really know how it happened back then, actually. But, you know, you you had to get big record deals, a lot of promotion. You had to get pushed out there. So you couldn't just be a guy that put some stuff on Spotify and it got super popular and now you're this huge star, right? Like, that, that would not have happened in the 60s. In some right. Someone had
0: to come to your concert, see you, love you, say, hey, come in and record. Then exactly. we'll see if it goes out and people actually listen to it.
1: Yeah. So there is that other aspect that used to be much more important that's coupled with this whole thing. Not only do you have to be good at it, but you have to have it work out. And so when you talk about these sorts of things, when you talk about talent, like when you talk about actors, I don't know a huge amount about acting, but when I look at actors, they seem okay. And I bet you there are a hundred other actors that are probably just as okay i don't know it, it doesn't seem that different to me like I, I guess you can sometimes see really bad actors but yeah. it's the kind of thing where they happen to get lucky with the situation and they happen to get put in the movie that is really good with the really good directors and really good other actors and everything else and that's why they are hugely successful
0: you're just trying to get hate mail from all your la crew
1: <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i'm trying to make everyone back home hate me. Just but I, I do think that is an important thing. But the reason why I think we're so focused on this stuff is because what we talked about before with the barriers to entry dropping nowadays and increasingly going forward, what you can actually do will be more important than all of these other sorts of things in terms of networking and distribution and and, and all of that sort of stuff. But to take it back to what we were talking about, about the invisibility of skill development and things, I think we should maybe talk about the one major counterexample to this sort of thing. And you would maybe know a bit more about this because you've been more involved in high-level athletics than I have. Mm. But I think the best counterexample to this whole thing is athletics, because when you see somebody like Kobe Bryant, yeah, I'm sure he works hard, but no one's going to be able to compete with him if they work hard. Yeah. Like, the best piano player in the world could have other people compete with them. I think, if other people practiced as much as the greatest piano player in the world. They would have a lot more competition at the high level. Shaquille O'Neal is not, because physically he is more dominating. So how do you think about these sorts of things and, like, skill development in terms of sports?
0: But this is where I do think there are similarities, because while you could say that some people are born with certain genes that make them more athletic, but the same goes for certain people being born with genes, or I guess you could even say just born to certain parents that automatically would make them more logical or something. And there is a discrepancy because the actual size, like someone who is seven feet tall automatically is going to be more predisposed to basketball than right. like a Muggsy Bogues who's, I forget what he was, yeah. but four foot something, five foot something, small.
1: Yeah, I think it was five seven or something. But yeah, he was he was short. Right. right. So
0: that was your point, that if yes. you're born yes. with this gene set, and even going past that, the overall athletic ability, and I think you're right in that that makes athletics different when you're talking about this. But also, those people aren't going to be able to keep up at a professional level unless they are putting the time into like I know you said shaq he right, that's he true. can keep up on sheer size to a certain level, yes. but then there's a certain level where it's like, well, everyone else is seven foot something and
1: right well, and if even if you look at Shaq and you look at certain points in his career where he just was not athletically holding up, you know what I mean like he wasn't great on defense because he wasn't able to run back and forth as so much to get back on defense you know I was not happy as a Laker fan at certain points because his defense was poor because he wasn't there. Right, and it was Um, clear
0: that he needed more work on his free throws when there were fouls because you don't say, oh, this person is just good at shooting. No, they've been out there like doing their little thing right at the rim of the hoop for probably years, probably decades. Well, and that is an
1: interesting point because what you do see with basketball is that people get into the league, like right now we're dealing with it, again with the Lakers, with Lonzo Ball, and how he just cannot shoot very well. And you see it with a lot of people who come into the league and they can't shoot very well. Like LeBron James, when he first came into the league, he was terrible at three-point shots. He was just not good. And now he is one of, maybe not one of the best, but he's up there. He's very good at three-point shots. And that's because he practiced them endlessly over the last decade so there are you're right there are certain things within athletics that you can learn but i do i I don't know i view it as very different from almost everything else because to go back to what you mentioned about people being born to perhaps logical parents being more logical i don't discount the fact that that's a possible thing that exists or that certain parents are more intelligent and so their children are more intelligent but it's really difficult to disentangle what being raised by intelligent Mm -hmm. parents Did versus being born to intelligent parents Mm -hmm. and even in terms of like what people got fed their diet how much dairy they consumed like when you look at people's size i mean physical stuff and mental stuff it's their diet growing up is huge like you look at el salvadorians the generation that's our age is really short because so many of them were malnourished in the early 90s you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and they just couldn't grow in the same way that we could. And it's the same with when you look at older Koreans, where we lived a couple years ago. They're really short because right after the Korean War and during the Korean War, everybody was super poor and could only eat rice. So they got no protein. They got no dairy. They got, well, they're all lactose intolerant anyway, so they didn't drink, eat dairy. But like they they were not consuming the types of foods that would allow them to grow. That's why Koreans in America are on average, I think, something like four or five inches taller than Koreans in Korea. And it's because being raised was completely different. But Yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's so a good I, point. So I, d- I don't know. But but that just goes to show you, even with physical things, what you do during your life is what determines these things. And people are not simply talented.
0: Yeah, the same way that you can be born with maybe more muscle mass just on the way your body is built or something like that. But back yeah. to the basketball analogy, you're not going to be in that shape or any kind of professional shape unless for years you are going and weightlifting and doing things that are going to work on those muscles and also give you the muscle memory to perform the way you need to perform.
1: I think the way to think about it is even in the most predestined things like athleticism or muscle mass or something like that, between the bottom 10% and the top 10%, anywhere that you are between those two is all work. And then to get to those extremes of the bottom 10% or the top 10%, you either have some sort of disability that you can't control, or you have some sort of they get great traits that are genetic that you can't control. And th- that's what determines 10% at the extremes of how you can perform in a certain area. And maybe when you're talking about, you know, geniuses and you're talking about super athletes, Usain Bolt types, you're talking about things that are extreme in terms of their genetics. But when you're talking about getting to the top 10% of people, getting to the top of people in any given thing, in anything, especially highly complicated things that involve a lot of different skills. You're talking about people who work a lot at whatever they're working on. And that's what makes people good at things. And that's one of the reasons why I think basketball is such a good analogy from a physical perspective. Usain Bolt, I think a much larger percentage of him being successful is his physical capacity than somebody like Kobe Bryant. Because when you're talking about basketball, there are a lot of different things you have to deal with. You have to deal with defense. You have to deal with dribbling. You have to deal with shooting free throws. So much of it and is shooting a skill and free right. throws. that you have
0: to learn. Right.
1: And when you're talking about just running, that's one skill. That's not nearly as complicated as integrating 20 different things to be good at it. So there's much more that you have to learn. Mm. And you have to be better at more different things when it's a highly complicated skill, highly composite skill. And so when you're talking about things like intelligence and you're talking about things like what we're doing with podcasting or starting a business or any of those sorts of things, if you want to be good at it, you have to recognize that there are a lot of different skills involved in it. And you have to be good at at least most of them. And when you start, you're going to be bad at all of them. And that's just how that is.
0: Right. But quickly back to what you said before about the top 10% and the bottom 10% and then in between all work. I do agree that a lot of it can come down to genetics, but I do think, and I don't know that you meant it this way. I'm maybe just taking it this way, that a lot of the people who end up in the top 10% They have some genetic but they also like that work was such a big part and maybe running isn't the best example maybe basketball is the better example but they put in enough work to get to that top ten percent and there are people who maybe don't have the genes that would make them automatically better for the top five but they've worked at it enough that they get into that top ten
1: i guess i didn't state that very clearly what yeah what i meant was that 90 percent of what determines How good people are is their work right and in order to get to the very elite ah okay you need the work and physical things physical things or innate things will differentiate you at the extremes but in order to get to the extremes to begin with you need a lot of work
0: okay that makes a lot more sense
1: that that's what i was trying to say so no one no one is born a good basketball player if they've never played basketball in their lives that's just not going to happen you need to work a lot at it and then if you have the physical attributes You'll be successful, right?
0: And the same goes for any kind of more intellectual pursuit you're taking on.
1: Even more so, (laughs) and and that's why it frustrates me with things like language learning, or when I talk to people.
0: When I talk to people, I just get frustrated.
1: It fr- well, you know, it does. It frustrates me a lot. Like, because I talk to people and they're like, I'm dumb or I'm just not good at that or whatever it is. My girlfriend has a friend here who, you know, just says, you know, I'm not good at cooking. And I'm like, what do you mean you're not good? At- like, what does that mean that you're not good at cooking? It means you don't, you haven't learned how to cook yet. That's what that means. And you know what? Learn these, you can, this is not, you were not born bad at cooking. I don't know. Just- it it blows I totally my mind. agree
0: with you there. But what's always been difficult about that is that anytime I have said, at least from my personal experience, anytime I've said, oh, I'm learning this. You know how many people will tell me, well, that's really difficult. You're not going to be able to learn that. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But, yeah, well, but this, that's, is, this, this is my whole yeah, point. That's,
1: people have the wrong perspective on all of these exactly.
0: things. And so your mountain of... Uh, climbing to the top in terms of this skill acquisition is harder just because the people you're around and hopefully you surround yourself with people who don't have this mindset or can at least understand that you're going to succeed in learning this. But a lot of times it's much more difficult because they just aren't on the same page as you. Well,
1: see, I actually think that makes it much easier for those of us that are actually trying to learn things and actually believe that you can learn things. Because somebody that doesn't believe they can learn something they're just not going to do it. And that's why I think so many people suck at so many things because they're just like, well, I'm bad at it. I'm always going to be bad at it. All right, I'm bad at it. And they don't actually learn things. They don't actually push themselves past that point. But you're right. It can be demoralizing to yeah, talk to people and just I to guess, I guess. shut you I guess I stated
0: it wrong on that side that I'm talking more about when you are trying to be in an environment that helps you to succeed and you tell someone and you're constantly getting this negative feedback that it's not going to happen when you're already propelling yourself i'm going to do this because i can do this because i'm learning and of course it's possible and they're going it's absolutely not possible you're like and i'm doing a double fist motion with my hands right now
1: yeah that is uh i don't that wasn't a very good description i like i i have no idea what a double fist motion uh, is, both of my but, fists um, are
0: intersecting with each other like like a bull and this fighter who has and, the and another bull. Yeah. okay
1: you like punching <laughs> yeah, yourself they, punching your other yes, fist exactly. okay there we nice. go <laughs> okay i got you now yeah no that's true it can be very demotivating and demoralizing to talk to people and have them be just be like Nope, that's stupid. You're not going to be able to do that.
0: Right, like nine-year-old Jess trying to learn a language and hearing from this authority figure that you can't.
1: Yes, which is why I just don't tell anyone anything I'm working <laughs> on ever, except for like you and a few other people. I'm getting because, there. I'm
0: getting there, John.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like you guys don't deserve to know what the hell's going on. I'm not even going to try to help you.
0: But that is something, slight sidebar, that is something that makes the part of getting feedback more difficult mm-hmm. because I don't want to tell anyone until I'm more ready to tell them, but you need feedback. And now yeah. I'm getting to the point where, okay, well, I don't need feedback from everyone in my network. It can be some of my network and then outside of my network because yeah. that feedback it is, is crucial. very important.
1: That's, that's true. Like feedback is absolutely essential, but you're right. Having the person that's providing you feedback have the right mindset is also important because when they're going to give you the feedback you need to have them know what you want them to tell you like let's say for my animated short i don't necessarily want them to tell me oh that animation sucks i want them to tell me
0: this could have been improved about the of animation
1: Ex- exactly what aspects of it are interesting what aspects do you think work how should i change it like you you need somebody who has the correct mindset in terms of giving you actionable advice in terms of Wanting to help you.
0: Right. It has to be constructive. Otherwise, it's kind of useless.
1: And somebody just saying, oh, no, not going to work. That's never going to happen. That's completely pointless.
0: Yeah. And now I'm at the point, and I'm sure you are in certain respects as well, that when someone says that... I just have this filter and the filter just goes up and it's like, well, that opinion just going to go through this filter and we're just going to kind of throw it away. And there's the waste basket yeah. at the end of that filter. Or is this person really that valuable in my life that I want to keep this up? Because why are they telling me this? Why are they being such a downer?
1: Well, and I think you're much more tentative when you ask people, like I'm so forceful and <laughs> impetuous in the way that I talk about the things I do that I don't think people feel comfortable shutting me down. They're just like, oh, okay, sure, and then I breathe faster. Well, up.
0: you don't get it to your face. They might be thinking no, it, they just aren't going to exactly. voice it.
1: Yeah, right. Which means I'm just not getting accurate feedback at all, which is perfect. You know, but um, <laughs> continue what we. I, I, I did want to <laughs> just touch back on when you when you first said the whole thing about people shutting you down. One of the other things I wanted to mention to you about that was what we were talking about with talent. Mm-hmm. People look at it as either you have it or you don't, and I think when a lot of people think about skills and capabilities, they look at it as you can either do something or you can't do something. And so when I was talking about that girl, she says, I can't cook. Right. You know, she just thinks in a binary way, she can either cook or she can't cook. And when we were first working on skill development, we were working on these little 30 hour projects where we would learn the basics of how to do something, to be able to do something at a very low level. And I think that's also important to remember. You can go from the point where you can't do something Mm -hmm. to where you can do something and do it kind of poorly. And that's a major step forward. You know what I mean? You don't have to get to where you're expert and really good at everything. But there are a lot of things that it's just nice and useful to be able to do at a basic level. And so for cooking, if you get from the point where you can pour cereal to the point where you can cook eggs and bacon, that's a major step forward. <laughs> and, you know, you're not you're not a great chef yet. But your life is going to be a lot better if you can use a frying pan And use an oven and not just use a microwave. You know, it's it's like it's a step forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and you don't need long to get basic at a lot of things.
0: And when I hear someone give me that feedback, the negative feedback, or they just Mm. don't believe it's possible for someone to learn a certain skill, like you were just talking about your friend who says she absolutely cannot cook, I think yeah. when I'm hearing that feedback from someone, one of the first things I think of, which may be unfortunate, maybe not, but it's just how I think about it, is this something on their end that is maybe a self-conscious thing, or they were just programmed this way, and I and sure. I can't let it, I can't let it impact me because I've been there when I was younger with the language thing and probably some other examples too, but I realize that that's not correct. So now they just need to realize that, and hopefully eventually they will, but maybe not. So I'm just going to move forward.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it is difficult then when you're trying to get feedback for yourself and you're having to jump inside of their head and think about (laughs) what are they thinking about. Yeah, But we're human, so that's
0: that's how it goes, that whenever I get that feedback, I just think, all right, well, this might not be coming from a place that I should be evaluating truthfully.
1: Well, and that's why it's so important that the people that you are getting feedback from you really know where their head's at and you really try to understand what the relationship is in terms of where this feedback is coming from, what they think about you, what they think about what you're producing, what you're dealing with.
0: And as your feedback sample size gets larger, that becomes more and more difficult, but something just to understand, to wait through. You
1: know something else I've always found useful in feedback, and we should go much more in depth on how we deal with feedback at some other point, but <laughs> I've always found it easier to deal with feedback because because I always think of myself, well, not always, but often I just view myself as smarter than other people. <laughs> I know that doesn't necessarily sound great. but
0: Oh, it sounds wonderful, but, John.
1: <laughs> I know, right? I hope nobody that I know listens to this. But uh, but like when you're talking to someone and you think, well, I'm better at this than this person, and I know more than this person, and I'm smarter than this person, it becomes a lot easier to hear them give you negative feedback without you being like, "Oh, I'm torn up on the inside and so hurt." You can just look at it and be like, "Well, yeah, I mean, this crap person. Obviously, they're going to say something like that." But then just try to, you know, pull out the grains of truth and, and value that you can from whatever they're telling you. You know what All I mean? Right. Like when you when you think you're better than people, it allows you to have this secure core that your self-esteem doesn't get damaged from negative feedback as much. I guess that's what I'm trying to right, say. Right,
0: but even if you're not necessarily in that mindset where the majority of the time I talk to someone about a topic that they are clearly superior at this topic from ours or whatever it is, but I always put on that filter of, okay, well, I'm going to get there if I keep keep working on it continuously and yeah. over a certain period of time so i'm just going to put on this filter of where their perspective is coming from if they're great at an instrument and i'm trying to learn an instrument sure. then that's a different yeah, filter yeah. than if there's someone right. who's never done it and says i can't and they're telling me that it's stupid that i'm trying then it's like well yeah. your filter is different and i don't care as much right
1: but i'm saying even if they're better than you at that specific thing i guess what i'm saying is on an overall you're secure in your right. own Yeah, when you're overall secure in what you are, what you can do, it's much easier to accept negative feedback, which is why I've always been able to accept negative feedback so easily because... I've, since middle school, just kind of thought I was better than everybody. I don't know why that happened. It just happened.
0: What Kool-Aid was your mom having you drink over
1: there? <laughs> I know, right? People can't control what they believe. This is something that is intrinsic.
0: Right. Their parents can play a role, but that's a whole nother topic.
1: <laughs> well, no, but, but whether... Okay, this is a different conversation. But whether or not people are impacted based upon their experiences and what they believe, right. and whether or not they control what they believe are two different things. Right. For instance, I fully believe that my intellect is largely dictated by my experiences the things that I've lived through and done Mm -hmm. right but that doesn't mean I can control my intellect and like make myself smarter by wanting to be smarter so I can't believe something that I don't believe right like this, this plays into religion I can't believe in God if I don't believe in God I either believe in him or I don't right and if you don't then you don't and you can't make yourself believe
0: Right. But anyway,
1: that's completely separate thing.
0: On your point of being secure, that makes a lot of sense because if you're secure in yourself overall and your knowledge base and everything, it's possible for me to put on the filter and take feedback pretty easily because of that even if there's someone who's superior in a certain area right
1: there are a few people who i know who i am sensitive and a bit insecure about what they think about me and i respect them a lot and value their opinion a lot and i don't think they think very highly of me and when i get feedback from them it's a whole lot harder than (laughs) with most people you know what i mean so anyway
0: there are different levels for sure
1: absolutely there are should we wrap this thing up okay you can find the show notes as always at subjectradio.com slash ntl slash 006 Because this is episode six, and that's how we name our episodes. So there you go. Okay, have a good week, Jess. I'll talk to you next week. All
0: right, bye. See you next week.
1: (laughs) All right, have a good one. Bye. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll, wait. Did I say it was episode 6 or did I say episode 5?
0: I think you said 5. Oh
1: god. Okay. But maybe I'm this wrong. Is... I could have been wrong. <laughs> I'm just going to say it again so I can okay. cut it in. Uh, yeah.